Hello, my name's Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and on social media. Welcome to episode 237 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. I am joined today by a, I guess, mutually <laughs> mutually <laughs> ill Ray. <laughs> How you doing, Ray? Hey, Joe. How's it going? Uh, I guess we both caught the non-covid bug that is going around <laughs> yeah like both of us are sick i just came back from new york uh, a couple days ago and uh and oh were sh- you sick in new york no 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 i got okay. i was sick when i got back so i was like i'm sure i've got covid because it's new york yeah. and uh nope nope it's still it's still not covid so man yeah but <laughs> yeah exactly same here i uh been feeling Pretty crappy the last few days, sore throat, stuffy nose, headaches, body aches. I'm like, oh man, I got COVID. Tests say no. Yeah. So, uh, yep. but you know, still trying to stay indoors and stay masked and all that stuff. Exactly. Well, Matt and Matt keep saying, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And I was like, you know, there are other things out there. Yeah. <laughs> <And> COVID, like <laughs> they yeah, didn't really. stop being out there. What's COVID? It. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like window after the first wave of COVID when we were all being very careful and masked and it's like no one got sick of anything for a while and we're like oh yeah, this is yeah. what it's like to not be sick like this yeah. is pretty great yeah no I seriously like I still I have masks everywhere and mm-hmm. I keep them everywhere and as soon as I'm like you know what I'm not feeling great or you know what there's a lot of people here yep. <laughs> I toss on a mask same, same, and I've been. We've been hitting some art shows. That's uh, that's a segue. I guess it's our weekly geekery. That's that's pretty much been my geekery is lately. Is um, besides watching all these movies we got to watch to talk about today, um, hitting up art shows in LA and and some in Long Beach, and just trying to get reacquainted with like the the art scene at large. You know, in Southern California, um, I feel like I've been in. Do you feel like it's really changed since you were this involved? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And and a lot of things have changed. Like a lot of stuff has gone down, as you know, right? Uh, in the last few years, you know, socially, uh, artistically, creatively, um, and the art world obviously is affected by all of that. So um, yeah, for sure, it, it, it's been kind of exciting to see that, like the things that I've been processing and like trying to weave into my work and kind of the voice that I've been cultivating, you know, nurturing in this program, I'm, I'm coming out of it, a different artist and a different painter. And I'm looking around right now and I'm seeing that uh, there are other painters out there that are on a very similar track, which is exciting to me because it means one, I'm not alone. (laughs) <laughs> right, right and and two it, it's it's kind of feeling like it's gonna be a scene you know what i mean it's it's right it's, right right i don't want to call it a movement because that i don't know there's all kinds of you know capital capital m movement tm um uh-huh. but and there's all those implications with that kind of term but it does feel like uh, a group of artists that are in la in in the in the la area right now that are all sort of thinking about similar things and approaching them in similar ways, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's very, very exciting. So I've been to some really cool art shows. I've met some really cool people recently, um, you know, people that, and then it's also some artists that I've known for a while that are coming out with new bodies of work and stuff. And it's, it's just exciting. It's exciting to see all that. 
Yeah, no, I get that. Like, I, I know that when I see a lot of theater going in the same direction, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I don't actually work on the <laughs> the cutting edge of theater. I tend to go a lot back and uh, and do stuff that's a little bit more classic with my students, just because um, it's what's available. It's what's, um, I guess you could call school appropriate, yeah. but. Um, when you go out and see it and you see that there are trends, it's, it's really kind of cool to, to, to be able to sit there and go, I, I get this. <laughs> I understand yeah. this. I know what's going on. <laughs> you know, when you go out and you see something and you feel like it's almost kind of been made for you. Right. Right. And exactly. it's like, and it's like what other, and lots of other people are making stuff that feels like it's for me right now. And I'm like, wow, we're all sort of on the same wavelength on the same trends. Like you said, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah, it's cool. So I'm excited to get my work out there. I know we talked briefly, you and I, about you know um, seeing my work. It's going to be up in a in a museum in, in Laguna Beach this summer, pretty much all summer long. Um, and then, of course, you know that that's a great opportunity. I'm excited for that. Uh, also, my school LCAD has a a small gallery in town that is also going to feature some of my work. Um, yeah, so I'll have work in two different places in Laguna Beach this summer. Um, and of course, on top of that, what I'm really excited about is, is finding a way to get my work up in LA and show it to the people that I'm in community with. And you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Laguna Beach is kind of a drive, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, so like, it's been a while since I've been really pumped to like get my work out there, but it's, it's going to be happening this summer and, and beyond. So I'm nervous and excited about that. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm really excited for you. I can't wait to see all this stuff. Thanks. I got I got other weekly geekery, but I want to hear yours first because I have a feeling mine's going to turn into a conversation. <laughs> my 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 biggest weekly geekery. I I have basically I finished the show. Um, was on spring break, and I get two weeks of spring break, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that first week of spring break, it was kind of like getting all the crap done that I needed to get done that I hadn't gotten done yet, and <laughs> kind of catching up, and then passing out until we had to leave for New York and then we left on Friday for New York um, did New York Saturday Sunday and most of Monday came home Monday evening so it was a big whirlwind uh, thing wow. we saw three shows out there two musicals which were Moulin Rouge Good Lord. and yeah Moulin Rouge and uh, Hades Town and oh my god both of them amazing um, I felt like Moulin Rouge was a little bit more presentational like I don't know if you've ever seen the movie on, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces. All right, so you know, it's kind of like they took pop songs and they kind of shoved them all together and made right. a musical out of it. And so this, the musical stage version, updates all the music that it uses. It uses some of the original songs, but uh, definitely updates some of the numbers and makes it all a little bit more modern. But it was really good. But it felt very much like we are doing a show. <laughs> uh. And, what does that? Uh, what does that mean? What does that feel? Um, you know, there were like emotional places where I am a very emotional person. I cry at the drop of a hat, and I I felt like I should have been like sobbing at the end when characters were dying and and whatever. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's how it ends. <laughs> uh, because it, like like it's not that she wasn't good. It was just that it was so. I am presenting this character to you. You know, the whole thing was very much weird. It was demonstrating. It wasn't, it was showing, not telling, yeah. if that makes sense, yes. you know. And uh, 
and so you know it was it was good and i very much enjoyed it and matt really much very much enjoyed it but it wasn't i didn't enjoy it as much as hades town which is kind of like and i think it was flipped for matt but hades town is the story of orpheus and uh uh Eurydice, which is this that classic um, Greek tale where um, to the couples in love, the woman dies. Um, he goes down to the underworld to bring her back, and mm-hmm. Hades basically says, "You can have her, but if you turn her, you have to have faith that she's following you behind, falling behind you, and um, you can't turn around. If you turn around, she's gone forever." And so, you know, he makes it right up to the end. And then turns around and she goes forever. So that's like right. the classic story. So it's a retelling of that. And it's very bluesy. And it's very um, lots of different southern um, music styles. So you got a little country. You got a little blues. You got a little bluegrass. You got like it's very weird mix of musical styles for um, for a musical. And it's a very small cast. There's like... Less than ten characters, I think. Less than ten people on stage, I think. Um, the band is on stage with them, so it's not like an orchestra pit playing, and it's just very, very cool. Like just the things that it looks like a very simple set, but it's very complex. It breaks apart and it changes, and there's a trap door in the middle that comes up and down like an elevator. Like wow. it's great. Like and it's and it's this just really simple story. And the whole point is, is why do we keep telling this story? Oh, it's a sad story. Why yeah. Why do we keep telling it? And we tell it because there's always the hope that there will be something different in the end. And um, it's a really, really cool story. Um, I think our favorite, though, was one that Matt picked. Hold and- on. I got a question yeah, yeah. about Hades Town. Sure, sure. At, please tell me at the end, somebody says to Orpheus, forget about it, Orpheus. It's Hades Town. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. <laughs> Sorry, I just got Chinatown on the brain. My bad. I just, <laughs> I'm like, why Hades Town? That's funny. And then you said it's bluesy. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Because it's because I mean, it's very much like like um, like the first lyric is like um, I think want to say it's way down south. There's a long, long train. I don't know. It's very the music, but it's like there. It's talking about boarding this train, and it's you know, there's a little gospel in there. It's very, very cool mix of music. Awesome. Um, What was the other one? Our favorite was uh, a play, which I think has been around before. I think this is a revision of it, um, a a revival of it, um, called "Take Me Out," and it's about a baseball player who comes out and. and you know the ramifications of a professional sports figure coming out as gay, and uh, it um, stars Je- Jesse Tyler Ferguson, um, the redheaded guy on Modern Family, um, and he was really, really, really good. Like you see, you see like a lot of these sitcom actors, and you're like, yeah, they're a sitcom actor, and then you see them in something else, and you're like, oh damn, boy can act. Um, totally, totally, that always blows my mind. Right, and it was really good. Like I think <laughs> the draw <laughs> to um, I think a lot of people to this play is that it is there is a lot of full frontal male nudity. Whoa! Yes, and uh, <laughs> and so there was a very large gay audience, but um, there's kind of this unspoken rule in theater that when you do full frontal nudity, it's 
for shock value and it's not it's not usually lauded right like you don't like you're like oh you're just trying you're bringing in a certain audience mm. because it's very it's like you see see a naked person on tv and you're like it's a naked person whatever you see them live in front of you and you're like that's a naked person like it, it takes you out <laughs> of it takes you out of the moment <laughs> got it um, so so it, so in theater it tends to be like you're you use nudity when you have to use nudity um but the whole thing is, is that they're, they're, it's like that locker room talk. It's guys in the locker room, and how does the gay dynamic play into that? And how does one of the guys in the locker room being gay change that dynamic? And so, like, it would be silly to like cover them all up when they literally take a shower on stage. Yeah, and so, um, so that's you know, I think that was like. I think initially it was kind of like, ooh, interesting. And so we decided to go to that one, and it ended up being like the mo- best, the most well acted. Um, the, the, the story is they bring a, a guy onto the team who's, um, you know, exceedingly good, but racist, sexist, homophobic. But they also kind of imply that he's very mentally deficient. And this is kind of how he was raised. And I have seen a lot of stage acting that's been really good. This guy was excellent. Like he had to get, he had to play somebody who was very low intelligent, but very high emotion. And it was intense. It was a really, 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 really good play. Dang. What was it called? Uh, Take Me Out. Cool. That, That sounds like that choice of that nudity puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the play to to be good enough to like uh i don't know not be overtaken by the choice of nudity you know what i mean right exactly i mean like i've i've produced a play that had nudity in it we did a uh immersive version of um one flew over the cuckoo's nest Hmm. way back when i had my own theater company and my friend greg made the decision that you know this is a very raw play. And every time they pull the na- the, the young couple that goes like, you know, uh, do you know the story of one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Um, more or less, but I've, I've never seen the movie to my shame. <laughs> um, the, the, there's a, a, a young inmate. It's about guys in, in uh, being abused in a mental institution. Right. There's a young kid who's a virgin. And so the boys basically buy her, buy him a, prostitute to have sex and you know and so they go into one of the like padded rooms and they're having sex and they get caught and pulled out Mm. and so um, spoilers yeah well you know it's from the 80s so (laughs) if you haven't seen it by now i don't know that's gonna be high on your priority list but anyway so um the the choice was to um make them stay naked because most theaters when they produce it cover them up like they Mm. wrap towels around them or they put them in underwear or whatever and when you're going for the fact that this is a humiliating moment uh my friend greg who was directing thought you know it's it's important to kind of show that rawness and so you know you have to apply for all these permits to, oh wow to audition for you have to have like background checks to make sure you're not being sleazy like this is a whole thing just to get the casting the casting notice out and um and Jeez. at the end you know they're they're naked but they're like covering themselves up and they're trying to hide behind things so it's not like 
you know, it's not presentational nudity. It's not like, right. it's just like they happen to be nude on stage and they're trying to cover themselves up. So, right, right. You know, and we had a huge conversation. It's like, are we like, are we doing this for shock value or doing this for authenticity? And when yeah. we finally decided, yeah, we're doing this for authenticity, then we went ahead with it. Yeah, and it sounds like it totally makes sense for the story that you're telling. Right, exactly. And so it's 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 just an interesting it's kind of an interesting thing. And so when when Matt goes, there's male nudity, I'm like, okay, well I know why you want to go. But um <laughs> and so I, you know, and then the fact that Jesse Tyler Ferguson is in it, I'm like, okay, that adds some credibility because the guy's not gonna be in something that's not, you know, good. Mm-hmm. Um but like I don't think I was expecting that quality of mm. performance. Well, Jesse Williams is in it too. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. a good cast. It's a very, very cool cast. Yeah, I always it's so funny. It, you know, when I see just like you said about like you see someone on a sitcom and then you see them on a plate, it's like a different it, it kind of opens up your understanding of their career, like your you know, your your view of like what they do. I feel the same way when I see uh an actor on stage somewhere that I've only previously seen in movies and television. For so it's so fucked up, but in my brain, I'm like, oh, they're a real actor, <laughs> <laughs> which is so fucked up. But it's like, oh shit, they're they're doing stuff. Like just because I haven't seen them in something on the screen lately, doesn't mean they're not working. You know? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of a lot of actors like they do film and television to pay for their theater habits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I'll go make the money here, and then I'll go do some theater that feels like rewarding to me artistically like fulfilling yeah yeah exactly exactly so you had you had more weekly geekery that was like intense well not intense but just stuff i wanted to geek out with you about can we talk about moon knight have you watched moon knight i haven't seen the latest episode but i've watched everything up to it damn it okay (laughs) that's all right i wouldn't think that's up (laughs) um i I was okay with the first episode. The second episode, I'm like, all right, it's getting better. I think by the third episode, I was pretty much like, I'm I'm enjoying where this is going. I feel like this is a little more is happening. Okay. Because I think what frustrated me in that first episode is like, we get it. You, you like, we were at a disadvantage because we already know that he has multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. And so, it's just kind of like we're waiting for him to catch up to us. And I was kind of getting impatient with him catching up to us. And so then once they actually started communicating with each other, mm-hmm. it was a little bit better. I still think Steven's a little whiny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally his point. But after a while, you're just like, dude, chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are, are you, You're enjoying it, I take it? I am very much enjoying this show. Um, there's... Was it the last episode? I'm trying to think of or or so so. There's four episodes out. No, You've seen I've the first three, right? The first one is called the Goldfish Problem. The second one's called Summon the Suit, and the third one's called the Friendly Type. Um, and then uh, the fourth episode. Uh, wait, what's it called? The fourth episode is called. Oh, I can't find the name of the fourth episode. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to like keep my feedback to the first three episodes 
Um, there's, I guess I've just kind of come to expect this from, from uh, these Disney Plus shows that at a certain point, they need the plot or the story to move along and the characters are just going to make dumb kind of nonsensical decisions sometimes. <laughs> We're just like, that doesn't make any sense. But it's like, we know, we just, we need this next thing to happen. Okay, cool. And I don't know if I'm just like getting used to that now, but um, there's been minimal stuff like that in this show, I feel like, which is what, which, which means that, I'm taking out of the show less, which means I'm enjoying it more. You know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that Oscar Isaac is doing an amazing fucking job. Like yeah, no, Oscar Isaac is, I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting to see him in another thing where we can, he can like flex his acting muscles. Cause I'm telling you guys, if you have not seen ex machina, like even if you don't like the movie, you can't not sit there and just be amazed by Oscar Isaac. He's just disturbing. Yes. Um, he is doing such a great job. Oh, episode four is called the tomb. Um, and I guess it's it, light spoilers here. Maybe, uh, in episode three, have they found the tomb? That's them out in the desert trying to find the tomb, right? Yeah. They're, they're out in the desert trying to find the tomb and it's all the, all the thing with the, the avatars of the gods. That's right. And then they move the sky at the very end. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> cool. It, it, it kind of made me think of Superman, like Christopher Reeve Superman, where I'm, where he like flies around the world and like you know turns the globe backwards and reverses time. Where it's like, okay, that's like <laughs> we're not we're not dealing with <laughs> physics here. I'm like, what does the sky look like for the rest of the world? The rest of the world just sees these lines in the sky. Like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And then they uh they they imprison um. What's his face, right? The god. Um, yes, the 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 moon moon knights god. Yeah, god damn it, I can't think of his name. But yeah, okay, so yeah, there was some stuff there in the desert where I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> I feel like as as the show goes on, as the story continues to unfold, it feels like they're owning that, and they're sort uh-huh. of like. They're they're building that into the story itself that shit is not gonna make sense sometimes. And I really am enjoying the the way they're playing with our understanding of or or our our Yeah, I guess like what's real and what isn't. That right. is, that is where I'm having the most fun with this show. Because all along, it's like you're watching it. And there's all these little things where you're like, wait, is this part happening or not? And sometimes it's been dreams and other times it's been not dreams, but like one of the other personalities was not in control. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's like, oh shit, that wasn't real. Um, and all of that stuff, I guess it's what's like making me so excited about the last two episodes. Cause there's only two more episodes. It's kind of crazy. It's going fast, and it's going to end the same weekend as um, the same the week before um, Doctor Strange comes out. Yeah, yeah. And so, speaking of Doctor Strange uh, coming out, Marvel does this thing that where they will hold trailers for a long time. 
right? right? They were right. not like a movie will be a couple months out, and normally, you know, in any other uh, studio's marketing campaign, the trailer is out like a year before the fucking movie comes out. But right. Marvel doesn't do that. And so people are like, when is this trailer going to come out? When is that trailer going to come out? But the reason Marvel does that, right, is because there's sometimes spoilers for current things happening in the trailer for a movie that's coming out later on down the road. Right. So everyone's wondering when the Thor Love and Thunder trailer is coming out, which I fucking loved. It came out last week. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh, my God, dude. Fuck. I'm so excited for that fucking movie. <laughs> God damn. Um, but I was like, okay, there's a reason they released this trailer now. I wonder if it's going to impact episode four of Moon Knight. Like, I wonder if there's something revealed in the trailer for Thor that they didn't want to show before this episode of, or they, they needed to show before this episode of Moon Knight and that they had showed it before it would have, you know, impacted this current story that we're watching. Yeah. Cause I think we are the kind of common thought is that where a lot of these movies have been a pre uh, movies and TV shows have been precursors to Dr. Strange. This mm-hmm. one is a precursor to Thor. Like this is giving us stuff for Thor. I mean, it might also be giving us stuff for Dr. Strange. We don't know. Right, right, right. But but because we haven't had a lot of stuff leading into Thor, and Thor's all about the God Killer, yeah. Um, and this exactly. deals with gods, like yes. it's one of the one of the three pantheons that we know we're going to get in in the Marvel universe. So yes, exactly. And so there were rumblings like, oh, this next episode of Moon Knight, it, prepare yourselves. It's going to be you know, uh, uh, just you know, watch it before you get spoiled. And so I'm thinking, oh shit, it's going to have something to do with like gore or with thor you know that story um definitely shit goes down in the fourth episode that joe like watch it as soon as you can try not to get spoiled (laughs) um but i was surprised that by where they took it it was not what i was expecting it was not even in the ballpark of what i was expecting uh after you know kind of the anticipation building from the thor trailer interesting yeah so that's what i want to talk to you about today but i'm gonna wait we're going to talk about it next time. We are going to talk about well, but next time we should have seen them all. I'll make sure that I've got it all before <laughs> we even sit down to watch Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure, because I'm going to be in town for that. Yeah, and so, like, I said, hey, how you doing? Hug, hug. Okay, so, Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> because if you have not been around Ray and I, when we haven't seen each other in a long time, and we finally <laughs> actually get together in person, that's pretty much how it goes. Yep. And, Matt, and Matt and Rosie are kind of like, we'll just let them talk for a while. <laughs> we'll just give them their moment. Yeah, because a couple weeks from now, I mean, Moon Knight's going to be wrapped up. Yeah. And so we're going to be coming off of the finale of Moon Knight, getting ready to sit down and watch Doctor Strange, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. We might. Yeah. I was even thinking, shoot, because I'm going to be pretty busy the next month or so. Graduation is coming up. I'm finalizing my thesis. I am super busy. And I'm like, shit, maybe I, I am I going to be able to record this next episode of the podcast? But I'm like, you know what? What if we figure out something where we can record it in person? Right. You know, like work on that. (laughs) Yeah. Like while I'm out there in Palm Springs, maybe anyway. uh, So that's my weekly geekery. Uh, Super excited for you to see the next, this next episode of Moon Knight. 
All right. Sorry. I feel like that was like anticlimactic. You're like, we're going to have a discussion. <laughs> I'm like, nope, haven't seen it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I, I mean, I feel like between the Thor trailer and Moon Knight, God, Marvel just keeps. This was, a big, <sighs> this was a big week for Marvel. Marvel's been, Marvel's been ramping up because I think they know that, that Doctor Strange is kind of going to blow everything up. And so. They're just kind of lining everything up so that the dominoes will, dominoes will fall. Yeah, and I I wonder if part of it too is again the contrast uh, with DC and everything because Discovery just merged with Warner Brothers, and um, they're now talking about overhauling the DC universe. <laughs> so. Um. <laughs> more, more, more power, more power to them. Um, have I, you heard I about will, that? I have not heard about that. That's it's, the that's the latest thing. Uh, the new owners of all things Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are exploring an overhaul of DC Entertainment. Multiple sources close to the situation told Variety. It's been less than a week since Discovery closed its $43 billion deal for Warner Media, joining one of the largest producers of reality programming with one of the most venerable entertainment brands under the new moniker of Warner Brothers Discovery. So now it's called Warner Brothers Discovery. David Saslov, the CEO of the combined companies and top leadership have been toying with the idea of turning DC into its own solidified content vertical, the sources said. The move would potentially affect DC feature film development in the Warner Brothers Pictures Group, streaming series at Warner Brothers Television and the creative arm within DC proper, meaning comics, all in an effort to have the disparate elements more closely aligned in order to maximize the value of the superhero stable, one often seen as punching up against Marvel. That's pretty accurate. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So they're already vetting candidates. Before the merger closed, Zasla vetted candidates with experience in creating and nurturing blockbuster intellectual property with a goal of potentially finding someone to serve as a creative and strategic czar similar to what Marvel has in Kevin Feige. I I feel bad for whoever gets that job because they're going to be so excited. And unless Warner Brothers and their new conglomerate masters, whoever's running the things over there, um, unless they completely change the way they let creative do their thing, it's just going to be more of the same. Are you ready for this next sentence? <laughs> I'm so excited for this next sentence. One of those candidates included Emma Watts, a former top film executive at 20th Century Studios and Paramount, but it does not appear that Watts will take the job. One insider suggested that Zaslav was less interested in finding a creative guru and more eager to hire someone who had the type of business background needed to keep all the different factions at DC working more harmoniously. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> it has been literally published and is out there in the world. Get a fucking mirror. <laughs> Look at yourselves. <laughs> Fix your shit. Right there. It's it's uh, what? It's right there. They still don't get it. It sounds like oh, the creative stuff. No, no, no. We're not. That's not. We need we need a business person in here. 
<laughs> it's like, no, that. <sighs> I, I, I have to say, I, again, I am not a huge DC fan. I have always been a Marvel fan. I love Marvel comics. Oh. Um, I, I love the characters. I feel like they're a little bit more down to earth. And I think that's always the comparison. DC is, you know, the, the gods and, and Marvel's the, the every man. But if I was a DC fan, I would be so bitter, angry and defeated at this point. Yeah, man. Like I would just be, I would just be done. I would be like, I I wouldn't be going to like, I'm not going to Batman because, you know, I don't know it's now on streaming so I could watch it. And I'm like, it's not a high priority for me because I just don't have any, yeah, any interest in keeping feeding the machine that keeps spitting out awfulness. Um, And I can't imagine if Marvel was, if the, if the Marvel had been this way and DC was the one that was successful, I just, oh. I, I would have been so painfully hurt and bitter and angry. So I get it. DC fans. Um, would, would you have been falsely touting the, the epicness of shitty Marvel <laughs> projects? Would you have been like, um, no, this, this Zack Snyder Avengers film is so much better then you're oh God, I up a little bit in my mouth. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I'm already not feeling well, Ray. That's, that was cruel. <laughs> my bad. My bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think that I'd be able to look at it realistically, but I know like right now Marvel can do no wrong. And I know that they can do wrong, but in my mind, it's like, yes, just give me more. Yeah. And and I know there's been movies that they've put out that have been okay. Yeah. And we've been like, well, you know, the next one will be amazing. And like, so I I get that want to just kind of, you know, root for the home team. Mm-hmm. But we sit here and we pull these movies apart. And I can't imagine that I would be sitting there pulling apart movies and trying to convince you and myself mm-hmm. that they were good. If they right. weren't, I mean, because look at the X Men. Like we love the X Men franchise, and yeah. we love the X Men, and we hate well a lot of the movies. Yeah. So you know, I like to think that we would be a little bit more honest with with how they were doing. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, this for me, this news was just kind of like a yes, yes, yes. Oh no, like <laughs> where you know, this likely they're going to move forward with this as they should in terms of like figuring this thing out and they're going to do a whole overhaul, but it's already doomed from the start. So now we have a whole other decade of wave of new attempts at these, at this franchise, just knowing that they're not really, it doesn't sound like they've quite accepted what the, you know, that, that they need to change, fundamentally change their approach. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because I love DC. Like my first favorite superhero was Superman. Right. That was my first, I literally dressed up as Superman at freaking two years old and spent my whole like childhood in love with like super friends and DC and Batman, all that stuff. So I think, I think I was in kindergarten when I dressed up as Robin. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so I'm in like I'm right there because I, I yeah, it was the Super Friends. Like that was the first comic book 
yeah. anything that I was introduced to that and, and Spidey and the amazing spider friends. Those were the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when you start finding more about the properties and you get a little older, you're like, Oh, there's like this whole thing. But, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah. you know, as, as much as this podcast is a, you know, a Marvel stand podcast, it's also, about us talking about the things that we're enjoying. We're just going to gravitate towards the things we like. And, you know, these, these are the things that we like. Um, And fuck man, in the next podcast, you and I are going to be talking about Dr. Strange. That's crazy that that's coming out already. It's Uh, so intense. Like I can't like at this point, I'm like, I (laughs) new rock stars will look at every picture, every, every, teaser every anything that has dr strange on it and they'll be like we found another <laughs> the imax <laughs> widescreen trailer you can see more so we're gonna we're gonna study the two inches on each side of the screen to see what else we can pull from it and, and i am not even kidding there is a video where they talk about how much was revealed when you saw it in widescreen um and and so I, I I have stepped away from a lot of that going, it's mm-hmm. just going to be cool. Like, whatever it is, it's just going to be cool. And I don't think our brains can fathom it yet because we don't have all the pieces. And yeah. so I'm just, at this point, I just want to watch it and be like, let me try and process what's going on. Yeah, I pretty much um, dipped out of the all the new Rockstars uh, content. And and pretty much all of the like theory based like, um, you know, just guessing, <laughs> and and I'm fully focused on f- reaction stuff. So like watching Moon Knight and then watching the reaction videos come out of like this is what we just saw. Let's talk about it. Let's explain it. Then let's kind of theorize a little bit, but we're mostly reacting to the thing that's already out there. Versus yeah, we're, we're pointing out all the stuff you missed, the stuff yeah. that you're like, you're enjoying it. You don't know what to look for. You don't have a posse yes. of 20 people sitting there watching it and picking apart these things so that you yes. can talk about them. And then inevitably at the end of those videos where they go, and that means that this could happen or that could happen. It just feels more enjoyable and kind of, okay, I'm going to be guessing about that for a week, not for months on end. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, um, are you ready to to talk about? I can't. We we did it. We did it. We 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 made we made it through massive X Men rewatch. Um, I gotta say, I might have some surprising feedback for you. Uh, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if you're ready, let's let's jump into to Deadpool two. Dark Phoenix, and New Mutants. All right, we will be right back. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games! Star Wars! Comics, movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. 
Yep, and each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. And we're back. And before we get started, since <laughs> we spent our time, because what happens is I stop it. Um, because stop it, the recording. It, stop the recording. It doesn't happen too much anymore, but it used to like um, the sync would be off the longer you recorded. And so that's why we did this. And then we put the little um, commercial in. But, you know, we just chit chat while we wait until we we know the files are, are okay. And uh, we were talking about coffee. And that reminded me that I I have never had so many people react to something I've said on uh, on a podcast before as I did when I mentioned that I don't trust people who drink their coffee black. <laughs> um, I was kidding. <laughs> so, don't come at me. <laughs> hey, those black coffee drinkers are intense, Joe. You gotta you gotta watch your step there. I know because I date them. <laughs> Well, it's funny. It was like, you know, I just was being funny. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what do you, what do you have a problem with black coffee drinkers? Huh? huh? And I'm like, well, maybe this is a sample of why I don't trust black coffee drinkers. Maybe this is it right here. Oh, they're a bit intense. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's intense. It's okay. It's all right. Do a little sweetness. Do a little sweetness. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, no, yeah. I, I I appreciate it. I have many. <laughs> this is gonna, this is this goes against everything I believe in, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have friends who are black coffee drinkers, um, so you know it's all good. So. <laughs> That's great. Um, I I had a feeling that was gonna <laughs> that was gonna get a response. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So then uh, Ray and I were just talking about our coffee habits and how. If you don't drink, like if you if you don't get a good batch of coffee in the morning, it ruins your day. We're also re- we're recording this episode uh, earlier than we normally do, yeah. so the coffee is definitely hitting today. Doing, doing <laughs> yes, it's helping a lot. <laughs> yep, a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, uh, so, well, talking about heavy lifting. <laughs> nice, nicely done. Um, how, how, how was these two weeks for, for you and Rosie, right? Like this was a lot, this was a, this, this, this section was a big ask. Yes. I've been very busy, as I said earlier. And so at one point a few days ago, I was like, oh shit, we have three movies to watch. Damn. Um, so we put on Deadpool first, Deadpool two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just managed to finish up last night and, and, uh, watching mutants. And then in between that, we watched dark Phoenix. So, so I have, yeah, I, I mean, Deadpool two is its own thing, right? Deadpool yeah. is its own thing. It's yeah. funny to hear that they're going to like, keep those going and just try to carry over. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I heard Nando say in a, a new mutants video that I rewatched recently was he really liked, um, the Ileana character in new mutants. And uh-huh. he's hoping that maybe Deadpool finds a way to keep that casting in place with, you know, Anna Taylor joy, I think her name is. And then to keep that going. And I'm like, Oh yeah, Deadpool's going to keep going. That's weird. And like, you know, like uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I wonder what that's going to be like, because I know that also Ryan Reynolds has been campaigning openly for Hugh Jackman to reprise his role as Wolverine in the next Deadpool movie. Yeah. 
Um, which after seeing Logan again, it's like, oof, I don't know, man. Just that's don't fuck with that, Ryan Reynolds. I know you got some. I know you got some spicy jokes, you know, in mind already, probably written. But like, I think Hugh Jackman is is correct in his you know assessment that he's done with with Wolverine now. I get that too, but I mean, I think I think at some point, paycheck plus got to be a lot of fun to be on that set. Like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna, no one's gonna look poorly upon him or think that the character did not get his end properly mm. if he does a Deadpool movie because Deadpool is just such its own thing. Yeah, yeah. So I got to say man, these th- this com this brand of comedy is just it's landing uh, not as well each time I rewatch the Deadpool movies. Yeah, I I kind of agree. Like for me, Deadpool 2 is about three things. The X-Force jokes, because I do think that the X, X, the way they handled X-Force was hilarious. Mm. Domino, because that's a friggin' awesome scene. Yeah. And Colossus versus Juggernaut. Like, to me, that yeah. is the entirety of that movie, and everything else is just like, let's get through this so we can get to the good three parts. Right, right. Yeah, the, the brand of humor is so... I just feel like it, it's so omnipresent throughout, obviously, because it's Deadpool. And it just feels, I guess it's immature. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and which is fine, like with a, you know, a little bit of like immaturity, you know, as, as like a, an accent. But I think that's one of the reasons why I sort of never really got into the Deadpool comics. Uh-huh. Is because a lot of the humor just feels like the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, and, and for some people, that is that is that is their sense of humor. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I think I think when we watched it, it was a little bit of a less um, harried time. And when did this come out? When was this movie? Oh God. Um, also, I disagree. I'm saying there is something wrong with it, but I get what you're saying. You're trying to be, you know, <laughs> accepting, and <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Well, I mean, not not all of it, but I mean, like, the, like Im- immature humor in general is not necessarily bad. Like, yes, there's some things that just kind of like, well, that was inappropriate or whatever. But I don't think immature humor, you know, everybody at some point has laughed at a fart joke. Like, um, I'm, I'll think about that. Maybe I have at some point. I don't know. I'll get back to you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I you know. Deadpool 2 came out in 2018. Um, and man, did this thing age quickly, I feel like. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. I, a lot has gone. A lot has gone on <laughs> since then. Yeah. Right? And comedy does, you know, comedy tends to it's really hard uh to to make something comedic and have it age well. Like that's right. comedy tends to be like of the zeitgeist, you know? Like <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, if there is a Deadpool three, which it, you know, it seems like they're working on that and that's going to be a thing. I'm curious to see how, if they shift or how they, you know, what the, what the 2022, 23 version of Deadpool is like. Uh, but after two movies of this, I just feel like, okay, how much more can they ring out of this, uh, approach, I guess, you know what I mean? But they make a lot of money. They're popular, so yeah. Well, it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit. If Jackass was a superhero, hundred percent. 
you know what? No, that I mean, is, and again, yes. like there, there is a, and and if you want to be, if you want to be technical, Jackass is a modernized form of the Three Stooges. Like <laughs> it's like there, there is as far as comedy goes, there is there are branches. <laughs> this is the branch that that sits on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good take. I like that. Um, so the story's cool. I feel like none of the none of the stuff that's supposed to be because they're trying to to walk this line of this tone that is like all over the place, that it's overall yeah. funny and slapsticky and like you said, kind of immature humor. But then they're also trying to have, you know, some real stakes, some real emotional stakes. Um but at a certain point in this rewatch, I was like, why are you even trying to do this? Because you're just going to undercut it anyway. So, yeah. like, what is the benefit for you from, like, still having this, you know, this scene where, you know, we're, we're supposed to feel something? Like, do you really want us to feel something? I don't feel like you do. So well, I think they were going for nihilistic humor where it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's given up. And so he's just, he's just trying to and, – and I don't think – you're right. The swapping of tones is not, does not work. Yeah. It, after a while, it feels like just don't waste my time with this slow scene where there's supposed to be some kind of real character development or something, but it's not like you, you are not going to honor this. So why should I, as a viewer honor it? You know what I mean? Like you're about to undercut it with a dumb joke. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I, it's just, it, it makes me become like, Un- uninvested, you know, or disinvested. I don't know. And I also think Deadpool movies do not survive a second watch because the first watch you're in it. It's all shocking. It's all new. When you mm. know the punchline of the joke is coming along, it's less funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's I think that's one of the things that it does not, that has going against it is that you're not, I don't think meant to, uh, well, they want you to watch it as much as they can because they get money from it. But I don't think humor-wise, you're supposed to be watching these movies over and over again because they're gonna they're gonna land flat once you know the punchline coming. Yeah, I also think there's like speaking of like you know the the brand of humor. I feel like there's a lot of jokes where like gay stuff is supposed to be funny, like automatically. You know, like, like him flirting with, you know, like, like that's just on its, on its, just on its own. That's just supposed to be funny or like, you you know what I mean? Like kind of like jokey romantic stuff between like male characters where I'm just like. I'm so desensitized to that. (laughs) 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 Like at our level, it's kind of like, well, at least I put gay stuff in there. Um, It's, yeah. It's it's true. (laughs) It's like, yes, we're used to being the joke. Yes, we're every Disney villain. Like, these are just things that we're just, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, it just for for the sensibilities that we've all sort of cultivated to this point, you know what I mean? I just like, oh, that, I guess that's kind of funny. I don't know. Like, um, I think the best thing about this movie is that it looks great. It, it does look great. Like, they, the, the, everything very much feels. Right. Like it feels like it all kind of lines up with what it's supposed to be. I think the characters look great. I think the action looks fucking amazing. I think they use blood and they use stuff like slow motion, like in the best way that they can. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, It's all mm -hmm, effective. mm -hmm. Um, 
all of that, I, fucking, who would have thought that like a, you know, five foot seven cable could work, but <laughs> Roland kills it. Like, I love yeah, this yeah. version of cable, you know, because yeah. that's what these movies, I mean, ultimately, if you're making a comic book based movie, you're going to have to translate the the aesthetic and the character design in some way. And there's a lot of hit and miss, you know, but I think overall, this character, th- this movie nails it. Yeah, no, I, I think I think Deadpool is great at taking the characters we like and putting them on screen jack, screen accu- accurately. I mean, that's why we like the that's why I like the Colossus Juggernaut fight so much because it's like yes, we've always wanted to see this. This yeah. is amazing. This is straight out of the comic books. This is great. The fact that I still love the fact that Rusty Collins is the is like a big bad at some point in this. And is like the central character, like this nothing character that nobody ever knew what to do with and had such a horrible starting name that they just reverted back to his regular name and called him Rusty Collins for the rest of his life because uh-huh. Firefist was so ridiculously absurd. Um, you know, I, I love the obviously the people who write this love these comics. And at yes. the end of the day, I will forgive a lot if that is where you're coming from. Right. Right. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I think when Deadpool 3 is announced, I don't know that I'm going to be like, yes, I can't wait to see, you know. Uh, I'll probably catch up with it at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like definitely I'm hoping – I feel like Marvel has learned some things from Deadpool and the way they pull that off that they're – you know, they've carried into the Marvel properties. And I feel like DC could learn some stuff uh, in terms of how they treat the characters, like you said, you know, they, they, some things that they're nailing, like how, how did Deadpool make a better juggernaut than the actual fucking X-Men movie? Right? Like, well, not only that, but I mean, I, I keep going back to my favorite scene and I honestly feel like it's almost on par with the first Quicksilver scene is that domino mm-hmm. scene. Like at yes. e- they even, they even pointed out how the hell do you make luck as a power Right. Um, make it read on screen, and it it does so well. And she's just so cool and cavalier about it all. And she's just a great character. Yeah, she is. Yeah, they they. I had forgotten how much I enjoyed Domino. I I remember at the time, and this is going to carry over into our our next the next couple movies we watch though. Uh, but at the time, I just remember being kind of disappointed with the with the design of the character. Uh huh. Um, I got why they switched it up, but I was like, not like a hundred percent on board with the final redesign. Uh-huh. And I think that that affected my, like how well I was able to just enjoy what was on screen and just absorb what was there. Uh-huh. Um, and this time around, I'm like, shit, this, like, I want to keep seeing this domino in other movies. Yeah, no, she's just so cool. She's just so cool. And I, <laughs> I really need a bus to get you all out of here. The bus comes crashing through. Like it's, it's just very well set up, and it it's just makes like it's those little, it's those little, like that is stupid humor that makes me chuckle because mm-hmm. I do enjoy the absurdity, and I think that's part of the reason why I like Domino so much is because her character kind of just exists in absurdity. It's not the fart jokes. It's not the the like locker room humor. It's you know, it's just randomness and that makes it, that's the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, 
I want to bring up one thing that Lyle said, and I'm glad he brings it up because it's so true. And it's sad that even this movie does it. Um, he says, before this starts, I want to acknowledge this, that this is shitty framing slash storytelling to have a female character that exists only to die slash be imperiled as a motivator to the male character. Yep. Vanessa, Vanessa could have been cool as hell, but they did her dirty in the first one and worse here. And yep. I completely they, agree. They fridged her. Yep. Yep. And so, um, yeah, no, this, this movie has issues. I think all the Deadpool, you cannot make a movie based on a character created by Rob Liefeld and not have it have issues. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's just life. Yeah. Um, Women in Refrigerators, which is a website, uh, or sorry, which is a, um, a term that comic book writer Gail Simone popularized uh, on her website where she pointed out how often that happens where female characters are introduced just to be killed off and give motivation to the male main character. Yeah. Yeah. Literally taken from a, a really unfortunate <laughs> Green Lantern story. Yeah. I would, I, I would be interested to see them do this or see if there's a, a version of this where a male character is brought in for the same reason for a female character. I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist, but if it does, I'd love to know about it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, The Boys, which Rosie and I finished our re- well, my rewatch and her first watch of, of uh, the first two seasons of The Boys, which we thoroughly enjoyed. Um does the same thing where they, they kill off uh, Huey's girlfriend in the first scene of the first episode. Um, and I feel like they try to take, they flirt with that dynamic a little bit where he's, you know, the, the one in, in distress a lot, he's, uh-huh. you know, starlight is having to save him a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, um, but, but yeah, I, I can't think of, that's as close as I think I, I can recall that they've ever, you know, fully gone into that, you know, reversing that trope where, well, and of course, but he's still alive and still the main character. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not that his character was just brought in to be killed, to motivate a female character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like that's the, the, I agree with Lyle, uh, with Lyle here. And I think in the first episode uh, the first, um, part of Deadpool, that was what bugged me so much about how they framed, they wanted to frame Vanessa as like this awesome character and this awesome person and someone that, you know, uh, Wade would fall for. And they kind of bill her as this like perfect ideal of what any like comic book geek would want as a girlfriend. And it's like, she's, hyper sexed and she's like hyper feminine and she talks about empire strikes back and she doesn't care about like, you know, she only cares about like sex and video games and comic books. And, and he literally says at one point, it's like, I created you, it, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it, and, and it's just like, Ooh, like I, I really thought when they first said that, I'm like, Oh, is that going to be like a thing? Where like they're gonna call out this like trope, this like e girl trope, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And and, uh-huh. and then they don't. It's just like no, she's just that, and it's great. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is appealing to, to for me. It's appealing to like the most like misogynistic side of like geekdom. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and there's definitely like, like I said, I think we watched the first round going, oh, 
this is new. This is different. They've got a, a fresh take on characters. I think when you look at it closer on the second watch, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, I think I think they've pushed this character who's very popular from the comics. I think they've made him as cool as they could probably make. I think Ryan Reynolds has done a, an awesome job because this is a character created by Rob Liefeld. Don't forget. This right, right, right. is a straight ripoff of a DC character named Slade Wilson. Like literally like <laughs> just a ripoff character that was introduced in the, you know, in the waning issues of New Mutants. Um, that, you know, has become this phenomenon and under other writers, I'm pretty sure. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think his writing of it ever did did anything with it. No, no. He was just a badass, unkillable mercenary, like all lifeful characters. That's what they are. (laughs) They're all badass, unkillable mercenaries with healing factors and big guns. Like that's all of them with big guns, little 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 feet and no and hundreds of pouches like that is yeah. the life feel th- that is that is how it goes yeah so you're totally right there are other writers like joe kelly that came in i believe it's joe kelly and you know kind of made deadpool what he's what he's known for today um so yeah i want to talk more about the the life field uh factor when we get into new mutants as well okay <laughs> All right. Well, before that, we have to jump the hurdle that is um, Dark Phoenix. Yeah. So, do do you want like Lyle didn't even touch this one. He was like, "I love you guys, but I can't. I can't." (laughs) So he didn't. Um, But we did. Um, I actually watched that last, and I forced myself to watch it yesterday. And I was like, (laughs) I was toying with the idea of watching it this morning so that the anger could be fresh and clean. But um, but we started way more early than I was going to be able to do that. So I did it last night. And what are your thoughts? Okay. So this is my second time watching this movie. Uh, okay. First time, first time for Rosie. Um, before we watched X-Men The Last Stand or X3 or whatever you want to call it. Before we watched that movie, we watched a... a dark Phoenix saga primer on YouTube that kind of goes through the comic book story. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Kind of to set the table for like, this is why this is a big deal. This is why this comic book story is legendary. And you know, what happens to Jean gray is so tragic and you know, all that stuff. And then what came after, um, we also retouched on some of that in order for me to introduce her to cable before we watch Deadpool two. So, you know, because cable is the child of, you know, the, the, the future grown up child uh, of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor and who is Madeline Pryor and all that stuff. So, so we, we've touched on all that. Um, And then we watched X three, you know, a few weeks ago. And so now we went into it going, okay, this is, Dark Phoenix, this is Redux. <laughs> this is the same <laughs> the same people, you know, making this movie, giving it another shot. Simon Kinberg basically writing and directing who who wrote the first one, the first take. Um and let's see how how they approach it. Now, I remember watching this movie in the theater when it came out with my sister, who's the only person that would go with me. 
<laughs> Shout out, Valerie. Thank you. And we sat there watching this movie. And again, my, my sister's not a huge comic book fan. She doesn't really know anything about these stories. So she's sitting there watching this. And I'm sitting there just hating it. Just uh-huh, uh-huh. Ugh, like every little choice that is not like a home run to me is like a disaster. Right. 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 And I'm, and it's, and I, but that's not always the case for everyone. Like you and I are comic book fans and we come into these movies with all these expectations may be different for someone else. But I remember in the theater, my sister turning to me and going, what the fuck is this? Like what? Like this movie's boring. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's not the experience that Rosie and I, and I had watching it the other night. Okay. Explain. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to mention three movies to you. Okay. Uh-huh. These are three different movies. Fast Color. I don't know if you've seen that movie, if you've heard of it. I have not. Chronicle. I don't think I've seen that one either. You've heard of it? I have heard of it. And Push. Uh, I've seen Push. <laughs> of course, the one that you've seen is Push. Um, what What do you think these three movies have in common? Based on, on what you know about Push. Are they all written or directed by the same person? No, no, they're. I don't. I, I don't know where you're going with this because I haven't seen two of the three. They're all s- movies featuring superpowered characters that are not based on mainstream comic books. Oh, they're okay. not. They're, they're not Marvel or DC. Uh, a, c- a couple of them are not based on any comic book at all. They're just original screenplays. And what are the first two? Uh, Fast Color. That one and, I know I haven't seen. And Chronicle. Is Chronicle the one with the boys and the camera? Yes. Okay, I have seen that one. I love that movie, by the way. Um, so these movies are not Marvel, DC. They're not the X-Men. They're not the Avengers. They're not the Justice League, right? Okay. Uh-huh. These characters, and and I don't know if... Any of these are based on comic books, actually. Uh, but in either case, I'm not a fan or have read these comics, these source material. And so these characters exist only in this movie for me. And when I watch these movies, I am not I'm not bringing any baggage with me. And I'm not talking about character baggage of like Wolverine. I'm talking about fandom baggage. <laughs> Okay. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I I am not burdened with expectations and a a an emotional attachment to the history of these characters and how they're going to be translated to the screen. And what that does is it sort of opens up the possibility for enjoyment for me. Okay. That just can't exist with the X-Men and with Dark Phoenix. Definitely not for you, Joe, you know, for for Dark Phoenix and for the New Mutants. Um, But it's been really fascinating and really rewarding for me to watch these movies with Rosie. Because Rosie has none of that. And I feel like, and I've talked about this before, she's like the prism through which I'm able to access like a new unlived in area of my enjoyment (laughs) because I'm sitting there and I'm almost watching this, these movies through her eyes. I'm sitting there with her next to her on the couch and I'm watching the movie and I'm sometimes watching her reaction to what's happening in the movie. And like, she's all in, you know, 
not to say that these movies are suddenly good movies and well-structured and, you know, you know, great characterization and stuff, because, you know, after the movie, she's like, Oh, that, that was okay. But there's a lot more enjoyment that has been, you know, achieved than when I'm watching it for the first time as a comic book fan going, God, I hope they don't fuck up Phoenix again. You know what I mean? So, so from that perspective, you know, dark Phoenix wasn't that bad. They do some, they do some good stuff in that movie. If you don't know who Raven is, you're just like, Oh, that blue chick died. That sucks. Okay, moving on to these other characters, you know, oh, that must have just been like, you know, a a plot device, that character. But if you know who Raven is and you've seen her through all these previous movies and you know her from the comics and you know, like, then it's like, what the fuck? Why the fuck did Mystique just die like that? That was a stupid ass choice. But if this is not Mystique, if this is just a character, a, you know, part of this team, she's just one of the team members that we don't really get to know. If you're just sitting there watching this movie for for what it is on the screen. Okay. And it, it, I, I, I will go ahead. Dude, it just totally changed my like per, my experience watch rewatching these two movies. Okay. Um I have thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say that's all fine and good, except that we have seen all of these characters leading up till now, and we've seen them in a ridiculous amount of movies. Yes. And so it's not even internally consistent. And, and so even if you come to it only having watched the movies, there's a lot of inconsistency in this movie. Now I will say that I went into this movie trying to say put everything else aside i even this is the only one that i simply watched like the other two i had on in the background while i was doing other stuff like (laughs) this one i literally sat down and i said i'm going to give it my full attention because i feel like it's only fair i know that this is my least favorite movie of the entire franchise and so i'm going to sit down and i'm going to say what if I'm being honest, what can I divorce myself from as far as being an X-Men fan? And can I just invest in the movie and and try and try and enjoy it with fresh eyes? I honestly, I honestly tried. And just consistently was pulled out of it by bad movie choices. Like not even just bad character choices, just Bad plot and movie choices. Let's talk and, about some of those. Okay. So I hate the beginning. I hate <laughs> I hate the Jean Grey creepy child in the back seat of the car. Mm-hmm. Like it just like I get why I get where they're going with it. I get why they did it but it sets her up as being almost unsympathetic from the very beginning because it basically makes her like, she's just inherently evil for no good reason. Or she's a child and children are petty and that doesn't like, we don't hold that against them for the rest of their lives. Right. No, it's true. But the way it's framed, it's like, Ooh, she's the boogeyman. Like, like they (laughs) set it up to be this big, 
thing. And I realized that the whole, the whole story is the redemption that she doesn't have to be. In fact, when I'm listening to, and I didn't, I didn't have the, the time to go back and, and, um, write it down, but Jean Grey's opening statements at the beginning of the movie and end statements at the end of the movie, I was like, it's almost like she's talking about the X-Men franchise being rebooted into the MCU. 100%. Because she's like, because she's like, do you do you real do you need to be what people make you or do they don't understand? Like this this whole thing mm-hmm. about like moving on and evolving from what <laughs> from the shit you were before. Yeah. <laughs> so like and it's I the saw- first time we get a non-Professor X, uh, you know, uh, bookend intro and outro. Um, didn't didn't we also get Jean Grey in X three? Oh, did we? Yeah. No, I mean, okay. like this movie is it's X three without the um, <laughs> God loves man kills right thing, right? Um. And I think I think that's what they thought. They're like, obviously, if we just took this out and try didn't try to shove the two stories together, it would be better. Yeah, and that's that's that was their solution to what they perceived as the problem. Um, so I don't like I don't like the way they set up Jean Grey in general, especially from a character point of view. If it wasn't but, Jean Grey, would you feel differently about it? Um, maybe. If maybe. it was this female character in this movie, I'm watching. Because I feel like it's an interesting, to me, it sets up an interesting sort of um, idea, concept where, you know, all kids throw tantrums, right? Right. At some point, not me, I was a perfect child, but, you know, all kids (laughs) (laughs) at some point throw tantrums and which is fine. It's part of being a kid. But what happens when that kid has this kind of power, you know? Um, But, but again, that, she doesn't really throw a tantrum. She says she wants a different channel, but at some point she's like, it's not me. Like, it's not like, it's this other, like she, she has no control over her powers. And so all of a sudden she's just like freaking out. Like it, oh, I it just makes read that as a lie. I just read that. Oh, it's kids. lie. She's lying. It's not me. It's like, yeah, it is. I didn't do not- it. I was dead at the time. I don't know. Just, you know, see not the way her, her face looked like she was concerned. Hmm. So that's that's the way I read it, okay. um, but I mean I guess we could pick apart that part entirely. You know, then we then we move on to X Men stuff and the whole mission to rescue space. the space shuttle. Oh, I love makes that makes no sense. <laughs> I just love it's, seeing the X Men in space. That I just oh I'm yeah dying for that. That's the thing. You're just sitting there going, oh, this is gonna be. They're finally going to space, yes. and then you're like, wait, what are Wait, that doesn't make sense. That's a, like, and I am not that guy. You know, I am not that guy. I am the one who sits there and gets mad at at, at Matt for pulling out. Like, well, that's not that that wouldn't happen. Well, that doesn't that that tree doesn't exist in the place that where they're supposed to be. Like, I I and it annoys the hell out of me. So when you know, like he he can't focus on the movie if those inconsistencies are there. Yeah. I usually just kind of go, I'm enjoying the movie, it's fine. I can't like I don't understand. You have not explained to me why we need to like quickly wrap up Nightcrawler so that he can breathe in space, but we <laughs> yeah. don't have to do that to Gene Gray. I don't understand. Also, they they only wrap up his head, not his hands. And right, <laughs> like I, I mean, I don't think he's wearing gloves either. I think his skin is exposed, and I'm going, 
wait a minute. I literally said that out loud. Like, wait, what about his hands? Like, he's going to freeze. What the fuck? Yeah, like, it, it just makes no sense. And it's poor, like, it's poor storytelling. So to like, my, to, right, I was like, oh, Jean Grey is so powerful already that she doesn't even have to cover herself up. She can just exist in space, similar to, like, what Superman can do. Right, but we have we have not like if if the whole thing is she's supposed to become powerful. That that's where the inconsistency. Like the girl in the car is this crazy force that that is super powerful. Yes, but then it's the Phoenix Force that makes her powerful that she doesn't get until she's in the space. Like it's just it. it there's just a lot of stuff that it's like I don't understand what you're doing. So maybe I'm wrong, but I've always thought of Jean Grey, might like separate from the Phoenix Force. Jean Grey is, according to the movies, is the most powerful telepath on the planet. Right? Uh, most powerful telekinetic on the planet. Telekinetic, sorry. Right? Yeah, like she, proof, she's, yeah. a, she's an Omega level mutant in the movies. So, separate from the Phoenix Force. Like in the first iteration of this story, Professor X had to go in there and like limit her power because it was too powerful. And once those walls come down, he cannot stop her. She literally kills him. In the second iteration, to me, I was still going with that read of like, Jean Grey's super fucking powerful. It's one of the reasons that the Phoenix Force is drawn to her and why she's not obliterated by it. Because later in this movie, when she gives it to the other person, the alien that wants it, it obliterates that alien. So the reason why she can even embody the Phoenix Force is be which is not called the Phoenix Force in this movie, which is stupid. Um, but the reason she can embody this this cosmic force is because she's already super fucking powerful, so powerful that as a little kid she kills her parents, and as a you know whatever age mutant she doesn't need a fucking spacesuit to exist in space. That's my that was my read of it. Which, which, again, cool, but if she's already, like, like we haven't established that she, we've, we've established that she doesn't understand, know, or how to control her powers yet. We know she's, if we go with that she's powerful and Xavier's kind of tapped that down, she is unaware of the fact that she can survive in space without. Is, is that the first I, time she's gone into space? I think it is. Um, yeah, it's the first time she's gone into space. So I, I like it. Just it, just it, just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I see. Again, I'm not. I'm trying to look at this movie and go. This is my introduction to Jean Grey. This is not my understanding <laughs> of, of Jean Grey from the comics. You know what I mean? Right. And with that introduction, nothing has she into like like she's she's hesitant about her powers. How does she know she can survive in space without anything? Like it just, it just, it doesn't read. Okay. Um, so I get, like, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move over to the stuff I like because I could just go scene by scene and tell you why I could see. Oh, I, I desperately uh, want to go scene by scene with you, but okay, <laughs> we got another movie to talk about still. So okay. okay, I like Sophie Turner. I think she was a good choice for Jean Grey. I feel bad that they didn't give her as much to work with. Mm. I think she is not the automatic choice. Like I feel, I, I don't like, I, I don't think that the first Jean Grey, I forget the woman's name. I can't pronounce the woman's name is the honest. Oh, Francia Jansen. Yeah. Um, 
I felt she was a little bit too. I don't know. Like there was an intensity there that just didn't read as like, she didn't have as much girl next door type, like just kind of person who's there and Oh, holy shit. She's got a lot of power. Like she was way very, very intense where I feel like so Sophie Turner feels like she has, she's trying to bring layers to the character and she's just not working with much. Interesting. I feel the opposite. You do. Oh, I much prefer Franka Jensen's version of Jean Grey than Sophie Turner's. Um, Sophie Turner, I, I, I hate to say, I just, she just, her, just, she pulls me out. <laughs> I don't think she's a very good actress. And um, I just don't, I don't know. I don't buy her, her as, as Jean Grey at all. I don't, it, she stands out to me too much. She does no girl next door quality to me whatsoever. And I think Femke Jensen is more successful at that. Uh, I'm not saying she has a ton of, you know, girl next door quality the way Jean does in the comics, but much better than she seemed. Femke Jensen to me seemed like someone who, who was intense. Yes. But she played Jean Grey as, as somewhat fearful, um, you know, careful, very measured. And I think that was because of her power set and because of, you know, how she had to be sort of. And uh-huh. um, I really enjoyed that, that version of the character. I, I do not enjoy. I think Sophie Turner was a terrible choice for Jean Grey personally. Interesting. I like yeah. it because, because I remember both the original watch and this watch. I'm like, I see what you're doing, Sophie. And I, I, I feel you <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're doing what you could do with this, with this acting. Like, cause I mean, I, I, did you watch game of Thrones? Yeah, for sure. I didn't like her in game of Thrones. Same. I, and I think, um, I think I was surprised when I saw her in D's that I wasn't getting. I I got a little bit more whiny vibes from her in Apocalypse than I did in <laughs> this one. In yeah. this one, I felt like like when they when they give her somebody who has a point of view, and in this, she's definitely she's got she's got something she's got to overcome. Mm. And so I feel like she has a goal that she's working towards and she's trying to work through that. I think she plays the two different aspects of it. Like, well, I, I, I actually do enjoy her. I, I enjoy her as much as I can see it from an acting point of view, what she's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's the director's choice. I think it's her trying to make the best out of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I enjoy. I, I love, I still love, I still love close quarter fighting Magneto. Like yeah. That was kind of like, that is very fun because he's just using his powers in ways we've never seen before. And it's kind of epic. And it's. Yes. It's interesting that he never went full Magneto in this movie. He wears no, the helmet, but he doesn't put on a costume of any sort or anything like that. You know? No, and I think I think it's I I also think that that's a good character choice. I still feel bad because I feel like somebody's off stage during the whole island scene, going no, look more constipated, no, no more constipated, no, keep trying to push that shit out, like more constipated. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I, love that. I mean, like, like that's that's. The, the 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 puppeteering of Xavier 
wanted to accomplish something, but they didn't put the work. They didn't put the work in to earn it. That was a ooh. We both, (laughs) Rosie and I, were looking at each other like, "What the fuck? Like that is so fucked up." What like what a choice that is. I I literally was like, I wonder how like disabled people feel about <laughs> like this scene. Yeah, I mean I was meant to have it was meant to have that that power, but again, I think we talked about it in the first time. They didn't put in they didn't earn it. Like they didn't build up to it in a way that earned that like there's nothing that he well, they didn't earn it. It's such a, I mean, again, our sensibilities have, you know, are evolving so much. Uh, but I feel like, do you want to go there? Like, can you earn it? Like, is that, you know, at what point is that just like, you know what? That choice overtakes what the story is really, you know, earning, it ca- capable of earning. You know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, I don't know that. Yeah, that, I, and I don't remember that from my first watch. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> you blocked it out like that. I don't know, what, dude. What I had forgotten is the the mental control over over Nightcrawler, where the two telepaths are basically t- fighting over control of her his his body. Oh, and he's just like mid bamf. Yeah, they just keep bamfing him back and forth because he can't, like, they're fighting, like, they have control over his powers. He yeah. does not. And then he's like, are you okay? And he's like, no, I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, there was a lot of, um, I don't know, like, like, it just, for me, it missed on so many levels. I saw what I saw what they were trying to do. But one one thing you have mentioned on many occasions to me is that something that will pull you out is the music. Mm. And there were moments in here where I'm like, they are trying to be dramatic with this music. Oh, God. This, yeah. This music is all the same. It has all been dramatic at the same level for the entirety of the movie. I got to say, there was a lot more cool shit in this movie that I didn't remember from the first time I watched it. Um, and and I didn't. And I think it helped that I wasn't like, okay, let's watch the, the Dark Phoenix saga. I was like, let's just watch this movie about these young people with powers fighting it out. Like that's not Jean Grey. That's not supposed to be, you know, Magneto. That's, that's a dude that they've recruited. Oh, they have some kind of past. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like (laughs) I was just trying to take it completely on, on like surface value. And I think I was able to get more enjoyment out of it this time around, which shocked me. Like I was very surprised by that. Well, I'm, uh, I'm I'm glad you had that experience because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I'm gonna be like, really, beast, <laughs> like really, like oh, oh yeah, no, I mean like like <laughs> that made no sense. I, I am sorry, Jennifer Lawrence's performance as Mystique in this movie is, I think, the worst acting performance in every <laughs> other movie we've watched in this in this rewatch. Like she does not want to be there. She is just phoning it in. It is so uncomfortable to watch. Even the makeup looks terrible. Like it's all. (laughs) I honestly, at one point went, Oh, that's why they always slick back the hair (laughs) because it just doesn't look right. It makes her face look completely different and not in a good way. And, um, yeah, no, there was just it was just so 
such a bad performance. Like mm-hmm. these emotional moments that were supposed to be powerful and impactful were just not. Right. Like, and then I'm well, like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you got sliced up by Wolverine in that exact same spot in a previous movie, and we're just fine. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that, um, you know, watching it the way I did with Rosie, I felt like I was able to, to, focus more on what they were going for and less on how terribly they were failing, you know? Um, Okay. Here's the character that was warning Charles that, you know, this is not the right approach to take that someone's going to get hurt that, you know, um, we need to show more care for the students um, and, and not worry so much about the overall mission. Um, and goal of like endearing us, you know, uh, us to, to humanity. And then this is the character that ends up, you know, dying and kind of like showing, like proving that to be true. Okay. There's some, like, I see the poetry there or whatever, but it doesn't work when (laughs) you're like, you know, Mystique is not the right person for that. And why is she suddenly in this position? And, you know that the actress did not want to be in this movie anymore and all that stuff kind of clouds all of that and just takes away from already not like the strongest story, you know, it's not able to stand up to everything else on top of it. Yeah. And that's really the thing. Like, like I, I keep going back to, the fact that there's so many little things, like there's there's two or three little tweaks that they could have made that I think would have made this digestible. Mm. I think one of them is I, I still don't understand why we didn't get a Hellfire Club instead of Aliens. Like mm. I just it like everything is there. Like all the all the plot points are available and i think it's just because we've used some of the characters so we don't want to try and redo that um but you've got a blonde like basically vuk is is filling the the um emma frost role they have that whole moment where they walk into the brownstone and there are all the aliens and it could have just easily been the hellfire club and this idea of these you know mastermind manipulating them to manipulating her to kind of see the world in a different way and, and, and act out makes a little bit more sense than just I'm losing it. You know, like it makes it more sympathetic. It makes it more. And I feel like that just a little, that little change would help so much. And they just didn't go there. They, they created an enemy that I think (laughs) they're just the scrolls. It's just the scrolls. Yeah, I think the aliens were the weakest part of the movie um, because they don't really give any explanation other than a line or two of dialogue talking about how we can use this power to, you know, uh, bring back our civilization here on Earth or whatever. Um, but we, yeah, we don't, they're so underdeveloped. They're just clearly just 100% a plot device. Um, and it's so funny to me that they're called the Jibari because. In the comics, that's the Shi'ar, you know, and they're way yeah. more developed. They're full characters and the whole civilization that we get to know and blah, blah, blah. Well, is it, is it the Shi'ar or is it the Broccoli people? I thought it was the Broccoli people. Oh, I, maybe it's a combination because I always thought, you know, that um, 
what's her name's character? Jessica Chastain's character, Vuk. <laughs> terrible. Vuk, what the fuck? Jesus. Um, I always thought like, oh, is this like a horrible interpretation of Lalandra? You know? Uh, but maybe not. Maybe that's just me. Wh- what I want to see in there. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, the movie, the, the credits rolled and I was like, what do you think? And she's like, I mean, that was all right. You know, like, I guess that's, that's cool. Whatever. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be dying to watch that again or anything. <laughs> but Right, right. And I'm like, yeah, it was actually like some cool moments. Like, uh, like you said, I think a lot of the the, the action, like the, the combat was pretty cool. The way they use their powers and that was fun. And I think, again, like on this, if, if this was you know, a, a story, a, a non-Marvel, non-X-Men story about a superpower team that goes through this, you know, together, uh, it'd be like, oh, okay, that was, I guess that was, you know, they pulled it off, but, yeah, you know, whatever, forgettable, you know? Yeah, I can see it being just kind of a forgettable, brand, um, uh, um, off-brand generic superhero movie. It wouldn't be as bad. Yeah, you yeah, know, but watching it as as the X Men's Dark Phoenix saga, you're like, this is fucking terrible. Well, especially <laughs> as it, especially when we're putting it in context of this rewatch, where we're putting it in with all these other movies. Yeah, and and we're watching it from beginning to end as a like one body of work. Right. It's like this is this is a sad way to go out. This is a really sad. An unfortunate way to go out. So they knew by by the time Fe- Dark Phoenix came out, the 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 merger was was done, right? Right. Okay. So so they that's, knew this was going to be the last one, and then that's why when you're listening to her intro and outro, it's just kind of like if you re-listen to it with the idea of it <laughs> not being about about G Gray, about it being the X Men franchise evolving into a Marvel franchise, it makes. Like it's funny almost. It's almost yeah. comical. Yeah. So, um, what did you think of New Mutants? <laughs> I've made peace with the New Mutants. I, it's you, not that bad. Did I you guys actually, enjoy them? Did you I guys kind of liked the New it? Mutants? I kind of liked it. Yeah, Rosie kind of liked it too. I I did a little bit of what you did with Dark Phoenix with New Mutants, and just went. I'm just going to enjoy this as a non. X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't dislike Ileana as much as I did the first time through. Like, I think cause I knew where the character was going. So I had a little bit of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a lot of choices that I wouldn't make with these characters. I absolutely love, but mm-hmm. it's a got, it's got, put it this way. It's got a much more coherent thought out story that makes sense than a lot of the other movies we've watched. It's definitely not my bottom five. Yeah. If that's not Dr. Cecilia Reyes and that's just some creepy doctor, fine. So much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much better. (laughs) If it's just, and you know, to Rosie, that's not Dr. Cecilia Reyes from the comics. That's just a creepy doctor character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh yeah, she's from the comics. Oh really? Oh, okay. Like that's it. You know, (laughs) that's as far as I don't want to be like, actually this character is supposed to be, um, same thing with like Ileana. If that's just you know, if that's not Ileana Rasputin, Colossus' little sister, you know, there's a it's, it's a really cool character. If it's not supposed to be Ileana, yes, dude, it's she's the best part of this movie. I feel like, 
um, her character scenes, her fight scenes, she's badass. Like the movie ended and I could tell Rosie was like, Oh, I want to see that character. I want to see a movie like that, that girl. Like I want to follow her in another story, you know? Yeah. Which I think is what they set out to do with her character. And, and I think they accomplished that. Yeah. Um, the, the Rosie said it didn't feel like a superhero movie at all until the last scene where they're all fighting the bear. Right. It did feel kind of like a horror movie, which is cool. Um, and uh, I, I feel like the, still some of the things that seem forced to me are the like breakfast clubby, like, oh, they're all running around and dancing and like they're laughing and they're having like a, you know, teachers, teachers drugged into, you know, unconsciousness. <laughs> what, Ray, in your youth, you never drugged a teacher and had a dance Dude, party? <laughs> I like how she's just like, I drugged her. Like, what? Like, where did you get? How? When? What? <laughs> no, we don't. That's okay. All we need to know, we just need the teacher to be asleep now so that the students can, you know, have a have a party. <clears throat> um, I thought that they handled, like, Danny and, like, um, Rain um, and uh, Sam really well. Yeah. I think you know? they're I think they're good characterizations. I would have liked to see more of Sam. Sam's such a great character. Like like Tell me. Are you are you you you've got you're not you're not the oldest in your family, are you? Are you the older I am. You're the you're the oldest sibling. So you know that there's like a little bit of that older sibling responsibility. Yes, and- but I have completely rejected it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um well, for those of us who have not been able to do that, <laughs> there is there is a major like like responsibility factor that mm-hmm. that Sam has that um, I think they touched on but could have gone farther with, mm. um, like this whole like I've got to save everyone because I couldn't save my father, and I don't think that that mm-hmm. was quite there. Um, so, you know, I think, I think they did a good characterization. I don't think they did a great characterization because it's just a really fun character. It's a, it's a character who is always, it's a, he's basically the Cyclops of the next generation where he knows he's got the responsibility as kind of being the team leader, but he doesn't quite know how to navigate it yet. And so because we were focusing so much on other characters and he wasn't, kind of lauded as the head of the, because in the, in the comics, him and Danny are, are co leaders. Um, and, and because we don't ever really get that dynamic, he does fall into the background. I think even Kyle said at one point that he kind of falls into the background. Yeah. Yeah. I like and to answer, way- and Sam, I'm sorry, just real quick to answer the question. Wasn't Sam's uh, Sam immune to harm while blasting. <laughs> he is immune to harm when blasting. And I think that they decided that the reason why he kept hurting himself, not in the movie, I'm talking about the comics now. The reason why they decided he kept hurting himself is kept turning off his blast force before he landed. Yes. So if he lands before he, like, like the whole thing is when he's blasting, he's vulnerable. Well, if you turn that off before you land, you're going to crash and hurt yourself. And so I think that's, that's how he learned to land. And I think in the, in the comics, it was more about turning that he had trouble with than the landing. <laughs> Cause he just, yeah. shit. it really bugged me that rain. They make it a, a point to say he doesn't quite know how to land yet, but in the movie, we never actually see him successfully land. So he doesn't get that like moment of like development, you know, where he right. like figures that out. 
and and we see get to see that he just later in the movie he just uses his powers like it's nothing. So, right. um, I uh, I do I think we enjoyed the way they set up Danny as a sort of tragic character in that it's her powers and you know her unable to control her powers that ultimately ends up killing everyone she knows mm-hmm. and um that in some way her father was trying to prepare her like he was he was trying to help her process her fears so that they wouldn't you know lead which most parents are going to do for their kids but right. you know it, i don't know i feel like there's an implication that he understood he knew that her power was her power and that he uh-huh. was trying to help her with that as best he could right you know? Right. Yeah. There's kind of some suggestion that he he's been working on her about this stuff for a long, long time. Yes. Exactly. Um, that being said, I think Nando excellently points out in his New Mutants video of the one small change that, um, which is actually not for New Mutants. He he suggests several changes, but um, he talks about how Danny's powers in this movie are so many things that they're like nothing. Like they're never defined. They do too much. There's too many, you know, her powers can create this demon bear that kills people. Her powers also can create a, uh, you know, a a version of Ileana that is fake, that is tricking Roberto. He, his powers can also create, you know, this fake scene in a, in a mine (laughs) that Sam is walking through and experiencing. Her powers can also just completely create this, like, zombie priest that attacks rain like it's just all these things her powers can like turn off lights her powers can do all this stuff that just doesn't i don't know it's just it, they need to be better defined i think i think it would well they're, they're not con- they're not consistent about it because what happens is is like i think in the comic books it only affects the person like like your fears affect you but do not affect me Right. And and they show that where like they're watching the screen and they don't see anything in the room with um Berto. But um But everyone can see Liana smiling, man. Yeah, exactly. And they're attacking other like so I think that's where they kind of like go one way or the other. Like yeah. either everybody can see it or nobody can see it. Uh, yeah, immediately after the movie ended, Rosie said, What a cool fucking power. And I'm yeah. like, you need to read the comic books because you will enjoy that a lot more. <laughs> um, um, yeah. What What more do you want to say about New Mutants? I have a question for you. Go for it. So you you have you have spoken frequently about how much you love this comic book. Uh huh. Um, how long did you stick with this comic book? Um, I've read I've read pretty deep into it. They've they've got they've got some they've got some not so good stories in there. <laughs> but, but like, did you read, did you collect this comic as it was coming out or did you come to it later? No, no, I came to it later. Cause I think it was being released before I was even around. Oh no, not you were born in the eighties, weren't you? Yeah. But no, I was born in 78. Okay. You were growing up in the eighties like me. Yeah. Um, new mutants comic. I want to know um, how you came to this comic book. I don't remember how I came to this comic book. Because you um, talked about it being like, this is your co- this is your title. 
Like these yeah, are this your is title. This is your favorite uh, X Men title. I think I came to it well because okay. So remember, I came to comic books in a really weird way. I found the Marvel superheroes role playing game because I was big into Dungeons and Dragons types games, but didn't have anybody to play them with. So I would just read the books. And so Marvel had this really great set of books that were like, here's the rules. And then here's a book with all the stats and powers for all the characters. And I'm like, like dozens and dozens Mm -hmm. and dozens of characters. And I also read the Marvel universe handbook, which was just basically an encyclopedia of all the characters at that point. Mm. And, the first real like full series that I remember I remember watching the X-Men cartoon and not knowing who the characters were. Like I didn't know who Gambit was. I didn't know who <laughs> Rogue was. I was very confused by some of these characters that I wasn't because I was think I knew the Claremont, the Claremont seven. Um the this giant is size fascinating to me. I never knew this. Yeah, and so and so I was like, okay, I'm trying to figure out who all these characters are. Um, didn't know who Jubilee was. Like that was kind of nuts. Wow. But then I started reading. Then I was like, okay, I obviously need to like look at modern comics. And the first one that I really read all of was um, Age of Apocalypse. And I knew enough about the characters from the handbooks that I could figure out who all the characters were and what their part was in the universe. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I want to go back and find, and this is why I know so much about shit like alpha flight, because I read their like entries <laughs> in the Marvel universe handbook before I ever read a comic book of them. Yeah. And so, um, so I've got a really good knowledge of eighties characters <laughs> for yeah. no good reason. And, yeah. um, and so I went back and I started reading a lot of them. And because the the Gunthree family plays so big a part in Gen X and um, X-Force, I kind of started with New Mutants because I knew that they were the beginning of um, of X-Force. Oh, and in all of this, in all of this, I'm also collecting and reading all of those uh, collectible cards that I've shown you. Okay. So so most of my comic knowledge before I'd say before 2000 came from Marvel Superheroes or Marvel Universe handbook, the comic book cards and the Marvel superhero role playing game. And so when I finally started going back and reading the stories, I went back and I started with the New Mutants because they seemed a little bit more accessible and I knew that a lot of the characters played heavily into future stories got it wow i didn't know that yeah i okay that i started reading x-men about a year before the animated series came out okay so i was excited about the animated series because i was you know getting to see these comic books like actually moving around and like (laughs) getting to watch them (laughs) on television Uh um so so when you latched onto New Mutants, did you start with like issue one? Yeah. And how yeah, far it, did you read? There were a hundred issues in the original run, and I want to say that I got somewhere into the sixties. Oh, okay. I I just find it uh, 
ironic and a little bit heartbreaking that your favorite, like your X-Men title eventually gets taken over by Rob Liefeld. Yeah. And, and right. Turn, I, I, it's so, that is so like you of all people, Liefeld of all people, <laughs> the new mutants of all titles. Like it's like, it's like the thing you loved turned into like everything you hate. About, like- and I think again, I think I, I was looking at comic book cards and stuff after Liefeld had already gotten their hand, his hands on it. So I knew yeah. that there was, I knew it was coming. Yeah. And I think I, I think I read a little bit of the Liefeld stuff first and I was like, all right, this is okay. Again, I'm very new to comics at this point. And then yeah. I go back and read that and I read um and I started reading some of the like giant size X-Men moving on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much better. And mm-hmm. somewhere in there I knew cable showed up and fucked everything up. Okay. And and so it was kind of like, well, I want to enjoy up to issue one hundred, because I think one issue one hundred is when it switches over to X Force. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um yeah, I never, I never asked you about this before, because it's like I, 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 for some reason, I thought, oh God, was Joe there when that happened? Like, was he collecting these issues like <laughs> no. month to month, <laughs> watching, like watching Louis Simonson just kind of give up and say, you know what, <laughs> I can't deal with this shit. Like, she's been very diplomatic about it in interviews you know where she's just like look it was very clear that this you know rob this new artist and i just did not have the same vision for the title and i just decided to bow out you know what i mean like yeah (laughs) i'm like was joe watching his like favorite title just turn into what it turned into no, and so. I think that's what made me enjoy it more is like this became a dumpster fire, but look at what it was before this. And yeah. so it was kind of like, and that's, and again, I, I think another reason why I struggled with the movie so much is because in that first run, those first few, before, like between issue one and before Demon Bear, like that first run, yeah, it's all about Xavier is not sure about he's lost all the X-Men. He's not sure what to do with these new kids that Moira McTaggart is saying you have to take care of them because it starts because it starts with Wolvesbane. Wolvesbane is um Rain and she she is can't control her powers. She's been abused by the Catholic Church and she needs to like he she she needs help. And so that that ends up becoming what instigates him collecting all of these young mutants but he's just teaching them how to use their powers so that they are safe and don't hurt other people. He's not making them into soldiers. Then he gets called away to space and Magneto has to take over. And so they're the group that gets raised by Magneto Mm -hmm. and by Magneto trying to enforce Xavier's dream saying, okay, it hasn't worked my way. Maybe Xavier's right. Let me give this a try. And it's hilarious because it's Magneto trying to babysit and there is nothing, there is nothing more joyful in my life than watching Magneto, like a person who has ripped people's bodies apart with magnetism, try and deal with high school kids. 
Like it's hilarious. And he's, he gets so frustrated. He's so angry. And then he's, then he's questioning his decisions about, should I've gotten that angry with them? And, you know, they're like, you know, the kids are like, we're going to rebel and we're going to go up into our attic and get our graduation costumes so that we can go out and be the new X-Men. And these costumes are ridiculous. And who would have ever thought that this is what they should have. And this was before Liefeld came and started messing with people's costumes. <laughs> like this was just like how ridiculous it's because if you've ever watched like Kitty Pride try and assemble costumes for herself, they're uh-huh. always awful. And it's kind of like that. That's Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad that you got that enjoyment. I'm glad that you were able to like dive in and find those things without, you know, and, and avoid kind of like the shit show that happened later. Cause have you, have you ever tried to sit through and read the, the new mutants? It's a fun, it's, it is not, it is not gritty. And I know you like gritty. It is a lot more hopeful and optimistic and mm-hmm. innocent. But that's what makes it so great when it, it's dark and it goes dark quick. Right. So the way I came to comics was uh, when I was a kid, I used to sleep over my cousin Abel's house a lot. Uh, any chance that my parents let me, I would stay at his house. And um, things are very different at his home than my home. There was a lot less rules. <laughs> there was no curfew. There was nothing like that. So I would get to, you know, sleep over. He, His family, where I grew up, was uh, an apartment building owned by my family. And so my grandmother lived there. So we lived in an apartment. My grandmother lived in another apartment. And so that was sort of the headquarters, the family headquarters. So all the cousins and the aunts and uncles would come over most weekends, you know, to see their family. So I got to see my cousins. I mean, I grew up with all my cousins. Like they were practically brothers and sisters. Um, And Abel being my closest cousin in age, he was one year younger than me. Every time that he came over, when it was time for them to go home on Saturday night, I would beg my parents to let me go home with him. Uh, and spend the night, and then they would just bring me back the next day. And excuse me, sorry. Because And so, uh, you know, when when that happened, we would go back to you know his house, and we'd stay up all night playing Street Fighter and other video games. I was not a video nice. game kid growing up. He absolutely was. So like, I I learned about like Legend of Zelda and Street Fighter and Mega Man and uh, Metroid, like Super Metroid, like all from him and watching him play these games um, till like one, two in the morning. And then the next day, his family liked to go to the swap meet. And so I would go, the only time I ever went to the swap meet was basically when I was with Abel and his family. And one time at the swap meet, I came across this like very nineties thing. Marvel used to do this where it was like this, this starter pack of comic books. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Got, it was, I got them from Costco all the time. Okay. It was like 20, 10 or 20 comic books. I don't know, but they were all wrapped in like this, like plastic together, right? Like back to back. Yep. And it was, and you would just pick that up. And, and I got one of those. They, they actually bought me one and I took it home and it changed my life. Yeah. Like when I talk, I had no idea what any of these characters were or what the stories in progress. I think one of the comic books was, and there were some fucking important issues in there sometimes, Yeah. but it's, it's the only pack that I ever got because after that I started to buy my comic books from newsstands. And then eventually I discovered what, comic book shops were and that was like right. you know heaven but um the issue where rogue is 
in the Savage Land. I know that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a Jim Lee issue drawn by Jim Lee. And she's in the Savage Land and she's, um, she's internally, like mentally, like fighting with, um, what's her name? With Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers, yeah. Yeah. And so that issue was in there. And that's probably the first issue of X Men. That was my introduction to X Men. Um, wow. I'm trying to, I'm looking for the act. I've never bothered to look up the actual like issue. Oh, X-Men 269. Uh-huh. So there you go. Um, uh, so that was my first issue of X-Men ever. That was my introduction to this world and these characters. Um, and, uh, it was over for me after that, man. And and so that came out, um, Siege Perilous. Um, Rogue has returned to the X-Men base in the Australian Outback after being spat out by the Siege Perilous. Uh, I'm trying to look for what year that was. Oh, 90. So there you go. 1990 was when I started reading comic books. uh, So I think I started reading them about six to eight years after you did. Yeah. Holy shit. And and, uh, I started picking up random issues in the newsstand, uh, you know, in, in my neighborhood, uh, I would go anytime my grandma was going to go shopping, I would go with her. And, um, you know, anytime I saw comic books on a newsstand, I would, I would ask her to buy me one. Um, and that's how I started reading comics. And let me tell you <laughs> my <laughs> first issue of new mutants that I ever read was issue 100. Oh, wow. So like, you were right there. <laughs> When the transition happened. Yes, that was my very first issue ever. And I was wow. like, this artwork is amazing. <laughs> These characters are all badass. I fucking loved Shatterstar. Um, I was like, who is this cable guy? He's so tough and like badass. <laughs> Everything was badass. And um, extreme. <laughs> yes, extreme. And so that I, it was piecemeal though. It wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't have a pool list, nothing like that. You know what I mean? Um, right. So it was all kind of just picking it up where I could. It wasn't until I started going to comic book stores two years later and the formation of image comics that I was like, wait, these are all number one issues here's my chance to get in on the ground floor of something right. where these are my characters. Now these are my titles. I'm going to collect them from issue one. They're all going to have the best artwork that I've ever seen. And they're going to be the best comic books I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) And about four years later, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) what am i doing what is this is terrible and then i you know i had to teach myself what what good comic books were but um yeah so i i was thinking about this a lot while watching new mutants last night joe because i was just like (laughs) what you know knowing how new mutants started and how it turned into x-force just Thank God that we're probably going to get a new mutants movie at some point, like a proper one from the MCU. Right. And I honestly, I would not be surprised because of the way they're trying to kind of differentiate their tiers of like, obviously Ms. Marvel is a 
it's they're gearing it a little bit to a younger audience. Yeah. And I could totally see them shortly after the X-Men being released in their full glory, however they decide to do it, you're going to get a new mutants because you're going to want that younger audience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I just feel like we're, we're in for some cool ass fucking movies and talk about like nostalgia and talk about like taking us back to like these childhood stories, even though they're going to be updated. And like you said, they're going to be iterations. They're going to be, you know, um, adapted to, you know, today's audiences and stuff. I do feel that Marvel does this thing that obviously Fox was unable to do with the X-Men where they, they really understand like what's at the core of these characters and these stories. And, and we're okay with, with the divergence, you know, from the source material because we feel like that core is intact and watching this, this whole like rewatch of like all these Fox X-Men movies that we're now done with. Um, First of all, God, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back and watch these again. Like, do I need to? Maybe Logan. No, I'm I'm good. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm good. So it's kind of like a farewell, you know. Yeah. And also, it's it struck me that like that core, or some semblance of that core, you could tell, you could see the attempt was there with the first couple of X Men movies. Uh huh. Maybe you know Matthew Vaughn tried that with First Class, but not really. And then they just said, "Forget it." It's we're now we're now riffing off of our own riffs. Right. You know, and I think that ended up going the way you would expect it to go. Who 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 Ray? Who who says we're gonna write a Marvel X-Men movie and decides that we're gonna focus on four X-Men Instead of just going, we've got this amazing lineup of really cool characters that were introduced in um, Giant Size X-Men. Let's focus on them, the ones that 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 lasted, and and go with the you know go with go with the Nightcrawler, the Colossus, the Kitty Pride from the very like. How do you how do you miss that? How do you miss that on ramp? You know what? Because it's not. It's not someone who read the comics like Kevin Feige did. Yeah, I just i I really hope when we get X Men in the Marvel, well, we've we've gone on and on and on, but I do want to end with this: we're we are going to be getting X Men from Marvel. Like, what do you what do you want? Like, like what is your your pipe dream? Like, what is what is the if they did this, this will be amazing. Uh, have you been keeping up with Nando's movies about casting the X Men? Uh, I have not seen the last one. Has he put out the third one yet? He's put out the giant size X-Men cast with Storm, Colossus, uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, it's pretty great. All right, the that's one, the one to check out. The one character he has not cast yet is Logan because Logan's getting his own video. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I I want a an original five team X-Men, uh, uh, Professor X's first uh, first. Uh, students uh-huh i want it done proper uh-huh <laughs> um and uh you know set in the 60s would be great doesn't have to be depending on how marvel decides to introduce mutants um i want to get at least three movies from them at least oh wow um i want them to go missing 
I want the giant size X-Men to come onto the scene, maybe in the third movie. I don't know, whatever. Okay, maybe at least two movies with the original team. But, you know, that the, the cast grows quickly, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, how many movies did we get with the with the core Avengers, Joe, of Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, and Hulk? We got fucking yeah. five. Yeah, four, we got, yeah. You know, of that team. So I, I don't think, you know, two or three movies of the original X-Men is too much to ask. We're obviously going to meet some more mutants along the way. But, um... I'd like to get, you know, the new the new giant size X-Men in on the scene once the original X-Men team goes missing. Um, and I'd like to go from there. I'd like for uh, Apocalypse to be a huge deal. I'd like for Dark Phoenix to like Apocalypse could be its own culmination of phases. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think Dark Phoenix could be its own a culmination of phases as well. Right. So I'd like, the, that's what I'd like. All that, that's my ideal, all of that stuff. And, and Wolverine being used like the Hulk, not being used like the main character. Wait, who, who getting used is the Wolverine the getting Hulk? used like the Hulk. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, 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 Wolverine doesn't bother me as much as it bothers a lot of people. A lot of people feel he distracts from everybody else. I feel like that's that's storytelling. It's because you think that Wolverine has to be the center of attention. Um, he should be he should be a dynamic in the team. He should not be the team. Sure, and I think that's I think I think getting him in there, like I, I, I'm, I'm perfectly ha- happy having a Wolverine movie before we ever get him on the X Men. What? Oh yeah. You literally just said he should be a dynamic on the team. <laughs> now you're saying he should get his own solo movie? Well, yeah, because I mean, like I think that they're going to build this team as solo movies. I don't think they're just going to drop an X-Men movie on us. I oh, think you're going to get I I think you're going to get I think you're going to get uh Xavier and a, a Xavier Mortimer Taggart Magneto movie. What a type. terrible like, just, idea. Uh, well, it depends on how they tell the story. Um, I think you're gonna get. I think you're gonna get a Wolverine solo film. I think you might get like a Storm solo film. I think you might get a lot of these little like individual films before you ever get the X Men. The thing because okay. I see. I feel like you. That's the wrong way to approach the X Men. I think. I think the Avengers makes sense because before the Avengers came together, they were all their own separate heroes. But I think the X Men is a team first. So the team has to exist as a team before Wolverine comes into the picture. You know what I mean? Because his whole attitude is is what you know, and the way it fits into the dynamic is what creates the story there. So I, yeah, I, I really hope they don't go with that. That'd be, I think that'd be just doing, you know, approaching the X-Men the wrong way. I I understand that. And I kind of, I kind of agree in the fact that like, it's not the, it's not the recipe we're used to, but honestly, I don't want to see Magneto for a while. I know he's so core to the characters. I don't want to see him for a while. I want him to be this thing that's built up in the background like they did Thanos and everybody else. Just because once he's there, I feel like he needs to he needs his own story arc that gets the character to where he ends up being. Huh. I don't know. I think I can see Magneto being 
what Loki is to the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, I definitely can see that dynamic. What I what I would love, what I would prefer is I would prefer the and I this kind of goes a little counter to what you said. I would like them to start with giant size X-Men mm-hmm. and have the original five be a class that's already moved on. Mm. And that are kind of built up as this legend. So when they show up in a later movie, like they show up as a team already together. Like they show up. I almost hope they start as X Factor. That would be cool. The, but I, right? want them to, I but but I like the idea of that team is missing and that team is in danger. And this new team has to be made. Like that's their first mission is saving these legends. Like that would be cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. And then you get to see the original team kind of show the new team how to work as a team right and i think i think you shouldn't i think if you start if you start with your giant size x-men kitty pride is your big um movie to edition like you have to have her come into a a team that's already been through some shit and i think i think one of the things that these movies have not done well is their their point of view character has always been like first it was rogue and then it's just wolverine for the rest of the movies yeah like that and, well, I think, and I, like, that's what that's the problem that people you said you're not as over wolverine as other people are it doesn't bug you as much but what you're talking about is exactly the things that's why wolverine bugs people is because of what you're mentioning they shouldn't do so that's all we're saying you know what i mean well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't guess, have a problem guess, with wolverine the character it's just the way they're using him well, and I think, but I think that's the that's the problem is that people are kind of blaming Wolverine for the way he's been used, and I think there are lots of good ways to give Wolverine his kind of epic status that you know a lot of people hold him in without yeah. having him just domineer through the entirety of the the yeah. Okay, well then don't series. well then don't blame Magneto for the way he's been used then. <laughs> I blame Magneto by the way for the way that he's been used. Yeah, yeah. You said you don't want to see Magneto for a while, oh, but but it's not because not because I don't enjoy the character or think that he's been overused. I just I wanted I want him to be built up as as a much bigger counterpoint, and I feel like the team has to be. I want him when he, I when he shows up. I want the X Men to question if he's the way they should go or not. Right. Like I want him to show up after they've been through some shit so that they have to make a conscious choice between going with the Xavier dream and going with the Magneto dream. Because I feel when you start both character, when you start all the characters as we're following Xavier and we're not following Magneto, there's really, you end up with beast in this, in, in dark Phoenix, making a choice that just doesn't make any character like sense. No, you don't because they started out with that in the first issue of the X-Men and they didn't, that's not what ended up happening. So, you know what I mean? Like, they, it, there wasn't that conundrum didn't exist. I think that if you look at, you know, literally the first issue of X Men, Magneto's there already. And, you know, right. it, but he's, but he's not the Magneto that we end up with. He's kind of, I mean, he like literally calls his group the, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Right, like, he hasn't right. developed yet into this character that has a point of view and has a, a arguably equally valid point of view as Xavier's right. Like, right. You know, it's, he starts off as somebody who's just kind of menacing the human society. He ends up being somebody who's like, no, the reason why we have to fight 
from the very beginning is because that's the only way to get what we need. Right. And and I I want when him to, he shows up, I want those decisions to have to be made. I would even I would even be fine having him show because do you remember the nineties when Colossus became a um started it became an acolyte of Magneto? Yeah. Like I feel like if you if you build up to like you love all these characters and then you have Magneto show up for a movie and he's going a completely different direction. And at the end of that movie, the X-Men have to make a choice. Are they staying with Xavier or are they going with Magneto? And some of them go with Magneto. Like, Oh my God, it's such a power. This like, that feels like it's got the potential for some very, very powerful storytelling. Right. Like uh, the end of X-Men first class. Yes, but better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to see Wolverine for a while. I think that the team should already exist as a team by the time Wolverine shows up so that his attitude and the way his persona bounces off the team. I definitely do not want to see a Wolverine movie up front. So not because I don't like the character, but again, because I feel like the team should should already exist as a team. And see, I think I think you've just proved why you might want to start with a Wolverine movie before he joins the team. Because if you have, if you have solo standalone Wolverine and now you're going to throw him in with all these other people, it's like, Oh um, yeah, this is like that dynamic is already like both, both groups already have their dynamic established. He's a solo character. They're a group, they're group characters. And now you're trying to force them together with each other. But I feel like plenty of times you can introduce a new character with a team that already exists and we're getting to know that character through the way they bounce off of the pre-existing team. I mean, we've seen that in the Marvel movies a lot so far. So, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think we need to get solo films is what I'm saying. Like, that's not, that's not the only way to do it. You know, no, it's not the, it's not the only way to do it. I, I just, from the way Marvel's going and the fact that I, because we've already had so many X-Men movies, I think, a way to not feel like we're just rehashing because they're already kind of doing this. They're, they're acknowledging that these movies exist. They've already done it with Spider-Man and we're kind of getting the idea that they're going to do that with Dr. Strange. Yeah. We already know that these characters exist and their stories have been told. So how do we reintroduce these characters in a way that doesn't just rehash stories that we've already told? Yes, there are some stories that we have, that we haven't told yet, but a lot of those would benefit from some background. So maybe let's reverse engineer it and look at these characters. We've always said storm doesn't get enough attention when she's put into these group films. Why don't we give her her solo movie? And then it's that much more Epic when she's called upon to join the X-Men. Huh? Um, I don't know. I look at Spider-Man. And it's like similar situation, but did he get his own solo movie first? No, he showed up in Civil War. Well, yes, and I'm, I'm, I think, I think like, like we're gonna see Xavier for the first time in Doctor Strange. I think you're gonna get these little introductions to all of these char- characters in other movies, but then I think it's gonna spin off. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it spins off into a team movie, not solo movies. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how they handle the the 
young Avengers because that's kind of what they're doing with the young Avengers. Right. Right. And so we'll like, when we see what the, the young Avenger movies is like, that's going to, I think be a good way of kind of assessing how they're going to do the X-Men. One, one exciting aspect of watching Moon Knight for me has been, Oh my God, what's going to be like when Moon Knight shows up in one of these movies. Right. Have I've been, I've been going, okay, which characters are actually like, is um, (laughs) what's his wife's name? Oh God. Um. Yeah, Layla. No, Layla. Yeah, yeah, Layla. Um, I'm like she would be. I want to see her. Like she's badass. I want to see her participating in some of these battles. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Uh oh, man. We can keep going, but we should wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Both of us have things later. Yes. So, um. All right. Uh, I do have a shout out. I want to shout out to Lyle for for keeping with us. Um, he sent me a message while we were recording that says, my only notes for Dark Phoenix are, I'm sorry, I just can't put myself through that again so soon. <laughs> also, I'd say a year ago when I watched it, I got 45 minutes in before I realized I'd seen it. I must have blacked it. I must have blacked it out. It's just so bad. That's so funny. major, major uh, shout out to Lyle for participating in all of this uh, with us. We, we've had fun. We hope you've had fun too even though some of the movies are really really awful and i i agree with ray i'm not going back and watching these anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> I'm, I'm good I'm, I'm all right i'm all good uh any shout outs for you sir well i gave my shout out but it's to my sister valerie thanks for coming to me to watch dark phoenix <laughs> That's it. and and not leaving me alone to do that by myself thank you the the sacrifices we make for our siblings yeah <gasps> all right uh why can't i find my show notes I'm not prepared. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geek to Geek is a proud member of the Geek to Geek Network. Check out other Geek to Geek shows, the Geek to Geek Podcast, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, Disney Forever, You Can't Stop Me Loving K-Pop, The Nerdberg Review, JRPGs and Me, Dragon Quest FM, Mating Habits of the Modern Geek, Farming Simulated, As the Dice Roll, Planes Talker Podcast, and Sometimes Rob. Also check out our Twitch streamers, Capsule J, Bamashocks, Twiddle Power, Geen, and Nixie. And make sure to join us in Slack or Discord where you can chat with us in real time. You can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at Epic Grays. Ray, where can we find you? You can find me on social media, especially Twitter and Instagram at RayVargas3. And if you go to RamonVargasArt.com, you can check out some of my work. Uh, super exciting because I'm finishing paintings every week. I feel like I'm finishing a new painting. So uh, a lot of it will be posted on my website very soon. That's awesome. I can't wait. I've, I've checked in almost after every episode to see what else has he done. What else has he done? <laughs> cool. All right, so next week, next time we talk, we are going to be doing it in person. Yes, <laughs> at the at, at our our viewing of Doctor Strange. And until then, remember all of these next two weeks. Keep it geek. <laughs>